I'm going to ask that we read two short passages and then I'm going to draw our attention, maybe three. Um, And the reason why reading three first is because they're short verses. And then the last verse, uh, well, the last will be an entire passage in 1 Corinthians. But these three first verses are going to tie into 1 Corinthians. Okay. And uh, number one, it's Psalm chapter 8, verse 5. And I hope we understand the Psalms. Uh, a great portion of uh, the majority of the Psalms were written by David. David wasn't just a king. He was a, a prophet. He was a prophet unto the Lord. And um, he wrote a great portion of, of these Psalms. And, and Moses had written some. The sons of Korah had written others. Um, <clears throat> but, but David here, he is prophesying. Okay. What does it say about music? It says that you can prophesy through music. Because these were, these, uh, it, it says in some of these psalms that uh, instruments were to be accompanied with this music. That's why I'm not a big fan of radio music. I, I think um, that there should be a prophetic element in, in music. When I say prophetic, I don't mean necessarily prophesying to individuals, but uh, there's just a spirit of prophecy to to these uh songs and where do we get that from the bible says in revelation it mentions that exact term spirit of prophecy um but as we go to the psalms you what you'll notice in the eighth chapter beginning at the fifth verse uh the eighth chapter fifth verse through six says yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. It's referring to Jesus here. It says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. So what has God the Father created? Everything that which is created has been given um, over unto Christ, the Son. And he has taken dominion. He says, you have put all things under his feet. Okay, so... Where where in the where in the scriptures do we find someone be, having been given dominion? We see that Adam was given dominion, right? And and there's a parallel between Jesus, the second man Adam, which Paul talks about in Romans chapter five, <clears throat> with the first man Adam. And what did the Lord God in the garden entrust to Adam? He entrusted all the works of his hands. He had said, name all these birds. And he says, take dominion over the fish and the sea and so forth. Well, what happened was that was all revoked. That was stolen from Adam by the devil. And we see the consequences of that. Satan now has dominion over Adam. Satan now has dominion over the earth. Satan has dominion over all of what Adam previously had dominion. And then what happens is when Jesus dies, dominion is given to him. And you'll find in other prophecies here in the Psalms especially, there's prophecies talking about how the Lord Jesus, he will inherit the earth. That he, he will gain an inheritance. And the inheritance, of course, is us as the church, but as well as the land. 
And you see this sort of language all throughout the scriptures in the book of Exodus. And when they're delivered, they're to be driven out of, of they're to drive out the Canaanites. <clears throat> and what is true in the Old Testament is true for the new. Okay. But, but in our case, it's spiritualized. Okay. So it's not entirely true. It's not that we're waging war with earthly weaponry. We're waging war with weapons of righteousness. But with those weapons, we should be advancing and gaining territory. Okay? And so now turn to Psalm chapter 10, 110. Psalm chapter 110. Verses uh, beginning at verse 1. And we'll read verse 1 as well as verse 5. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. So what will the final stage of the Lord having placed? Because now, okay, hold that thought. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 8. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. What we read there. Well, we'll actually read at verse uh, verse six. I'm sorry. It has been testified somewhere. We, <laughs> this goes back to what Dore Love. I don't know if you guys seen how this guy was. I don't know if you guys seen that little video where Dore Love, where I rebuked him on the live. And he was saying, where's the Bible verse at? Where's the Bible verse? Chapter verse, chapter verse. Come on, come on, come on. And then he ended up kicking me off his live and blocked me and all that stuff. It's ridiculous. Well, I think I'm closer to the biblical writers than he, because he says somewhere it has been testified. So he doesn't even specify where he's getting the psalm from. <laughs> so what does that say? Some uh, You don't have to quote chapter and verse for, for your words to have authority. The Bible speaks for itself. Okay. Now, is it good to have chapter and verse? Yes. But, but remember, too, that's a human invention. Chapter and verse was not, it wasn't invented until much later. It wasn't in the original manuscripts. In fact, as I've said before, in the original manuscripts, they didn't even have spaces. They didn't even have uh, punctuation um, in order to uh, preserve some of their material because a lot of the people that were writing were poor, so they had to space all this in. And this has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? We just read this in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 8. So the word of God is self-attesting. The word of God is its own witness. That's the greatest witness. John says in his first letter to the church, not the gospel of John, but his first epistle, he says, we accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater. Okay, so I don't have to appeal to man's testimony. All I have to do is cite the scriptures. You know, Charles Spurgeon says, all you have to do is let out the lion. It will defend itself. And so I think 
Uh, that doesn't mean we don't explain. We don't try to make plain. The Bible says that Paul argued from the scriptures to the Jews, proving that he was, that Jesus was the Christ. So we should have explanatory power in our defense of the gospel, but the foundation is the word of God itself, right? It defends itself. But so there, this is the great cloud of witnesses, right? So Old Testament proves New Testament, New Testament uh, witnesses for the old. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, like it's hidden, but the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So it's complementary. In fact, it should be viewed as an entire book in itself rather than two separate books. They're two different covenants, but one book, okay, with different authors, of course. <clears throat> but anyways, he's he's citing from Psalms, what is man that you are mindful of him? We just read this in Psalm 8. Or the son of man that you care for him, you made him a little for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, notice this. He says, it says, now putting in putting everything. What is everything? Every single thing. We see, uh, we'll read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What is meant by everything, every ruler, every principality, every name that can be named, right? He says, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control, okay? At present, this was 2,000 years ago, at present, the, the, the time in which the writer of Hebrews, which the author is unknown, some have said it was Paul, I don't think it's Paul for many reasons, but which is irrelevant really to go into detail about that. But it says at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Well, isn't that interesting? It's kind of how like Jesus said, the kingdom of God is and yet not now. Okay. So everything has been placed underneath the feet of Jesus Christ. Uh, that wicked dictator in North Korea the wicked Taliban, every demon, every politician, every, all the land, Jerusalem has been placed underneath his feet. Hey, what does that say? I've conquered you. If, if someone had their feet on your neck, you, you're pretty much defeated. It's, it's an indication of power. In fact, Paul says... In Romans, it says the God of, uh, I want to get this right. It says in Romans chapter 16, uh, you don't have to turn there, but um, Romans chapter 16, where is this at? Oh boy, come on now. Okay, chapter 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So that's a sign of victory. We as the church have victory. And guess what? We are his hands and feet. We are his hands and feet. So what does, what does it say about the church? That the enemies of God should be under our feet. It doesn't mean like in a literal sense. It means through the weapons of our warfare. When Paul is, see, I love David's language because he says, of the Lord, he says, he teaches my fingers to war. 
there's a man in the Old Testament. He 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 fought so strongly that his sword stuck to his his fist. He's a mighty man. But I, I think <clears throat> to say this with all due respect, I think that the church today has become very weak. I think that the church. Now I'm not talking about weak in the flesh. I'm t- talking about weak in the spirit. Talking about weak with regards to the weapons of our warfare. I think that um, by and large, now there are churches that are not like that, but I'm saying by and large, this is the case. And really we should foster, we should adopt this mentality of warfare. We should adopt this mentality of courage that just as the Lord was with David to knock off a head of a giant, so the Lord our God will be with us. And I love David's heart. He says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? You have this wicked, you know, he says, uncircumcised Gentile that's blaspheming the name of God. Is there not a cause to whack his head off? And, and at that time, it was justified. And also, it must be understood that it wasn't just a regular old man. This was the army of the Lord. It's kind of like how a police officer today would arrest someone and, if necessary, kill them. Right? Not murder. There's two different things. The Bible says, thou shalt not do murder in the original Hebrew. When you look at the Ten Commandments, this does not say kill. There's a differentiation between kill and murder. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says there's a time to kill. Okay? <clears throat> in fact, we see as, as early as Genesis before the law that the crime that was to fall upon the head who committed murder was that their life would be taken blood for blood, life for life, capital punishment from the beginning. Okay. But um, the point though, is Paul uses that same language that David does and translates it. He imports it even into the new Testament. And it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What is strongholds? Those are militant language. That is military vocabulary. Okay? Strongholds are, are what were used as kind of like of a base to, to station in, in war. And if you had a stronghold, you were pretty secure. That You would secure this place as, your, as yours. But if a stronghold was taken then that that means that you're advancing okay and so look turn to matthew chapter 28:19 and this essentially is our lord's marching orders if you turn to yeah chap, uh, matthew chapter 28 uh Verse 18, and it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority. In the original Greek, that word is exousias. And it 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 carries with the carries with the idea of authority, like rule, um, you know, kind of like um power, um you know, you imagine a monarch, a king, he has all authority. It's a sort of, you know, a, a power that, that's invested in that person. So if all authority has been given to Christ in heaven and on earth, 
He says, it has been given to me. Go, therefore. So if had no authority been given to Christ, there would be no therefore. There would be no go. But since we are on the winning side and Christ has defeated death, Christ has defeated sin, where sin abound, grace does much more abound. Because In light of that truth, he then says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So making disciples is the marching orders of Jesus Christ in light of the authority that has been given to him, having died on the cross. As Colossians says, he put an open shame to all the principalities and the rulers by him dying on the cross buried, rose again, and defeated death. And so that signified that death had no hold on him. And we are in him, and death has no hold on us. We can go in areas of death with the life within us, with all authority that has, Christ has been given to, uh, been given to him. He commissions us with that authority. And he says, go therefore and make disciples or students or pupils or learned ones of all nations. So there's no racism in the kingdom. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe prosperity gospel. <laughs> to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, um, I was listening to Kent Hovind today, um, and he was, <laughs> it was funny because he was, it was, a, you know, much later, uh, a much um, dated video, but he was talking about, you know, like certain um, wicked organizations and stuff like that, that uh, Christians should not be a part of. And he was kind of, I love this point, and hold on, I'm, I'm stay there at Matthew because I'll, I'll continue on with that. But I think he made a valid point. I think it was, um, I forgot if it was within a year. I believe it was within a year. He said that the average American watches, I think, 15,000 or 1,500 hours of TV in a year. He said, on average, you would be able to read your Bible 22 times within that year for the amount of time you would spend on TV. And and I'm sure it's probably more or maybe less because of that. That was probably like in the night, late nineties. He had uh, recorded that. <clears throat> uh, it was probably a uh, screen time on, on phones and stuff like that used for just pure entertainment. Um, but it, he said 22 times, I'm sure the stats have changed, but the point though is he ended up citing David. He says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. It's not that TV is inherently wicked, but he says, he says, you know, Christian parents, he says, here's a good rule. He says, every time you see a cu- uh, hear a cuss word, turn the TV off for two hours. Every time you see someone pick up a, a thing of alcohol, turn it off for two hours. And then you'll soon find that you have no time to watch it because that's all that's on it. <clears throat> so that's all that's on it. And he said, he said, and, and his, his, uh, he was given a sermon on basically how to change America. How do we go about changing America? 
And, and it was funny because he was reading. He says, here's the solution. If my people, and he had it on the screen, he says, if my people were called by my name, it's a verse in Chronicles, would humble themselves, seek my face. And he says, turn off, uh, turn on the TV. No, he says, turn off the TV. Oh, no, wait, no I didn't say that. Turn from their wicked ways. And I, it was just funny to me because he kind of has like a snarky attitude, like um, dry humor, I think you would call it. But he kind of, he knew he knew he was messing up on purpose, but he he was kind of you know was kind of giving someone the elbow like, hey, turn off that TV, you know, like let's let's get over the um, wasting the time on on um, entertainment and stuff like that. Uh, but the point though was, I think this really does kind of side with Matthew chapter twenty eight, and that if my people, there are people that are not God's people. So the Lord is speaking to the church, if my people who are called by my name, by his name, would humble themselves. How much humility do we see in the church? No one wants to listen to um, men of God anymore. Who are you to tell me that? They don't want to listen to the, the aged um, there's rebellious people or even in, in, in homes, kids don't want to listen to parents. Parents won't apologize to kids. There's a lack, there's a lack of humility. And ultimately there's a lack of humility to the word because the Bible simply proclaims what it has, what has been stated. And we failed to subject, submit ourselves to its authority. So how can we go out in authority if we don't submit to it? Here's the authority. It's, it's been revealed to us. <clears throat> but we need to get back to humility. And it is almost often when we've lived a life of rebellion, that humility is restored by the outward expression of contrition and repentance and weeping. When Joel, the prophet, told the ministers, in order for God to heal the land, he says, you ministers howl and weep between the porch. What he was saying is, look, I need you guys to gather a solemn assembly and fast and weep. Turn, as James says, your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Wash our hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. You know, and so... But it says, humble yourselves, turn from your wicked ways, and pray. So you can humble yourselves, turn from your wicked ways, and if you fail to pray, there will be no answer. There will be no solution. It will remain the same, as wicked as it was before. Turn from your wicked ways, and pray. But coming back to Matthew chapter 28, what we see there is Jesus once again is commissioning his disciples. He says, make instead of it, Jerusalem being the hub of all God's people, the Lord is saying today in New Testament times, he's saying, I want people of all nations. It's no longer just Jerusalem. We look at, In the book of Galatians, it says that you, that, 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 that Sarah is the mother of us all. 
And he and Paul says Sarah corresponds to Jerusalem. Hagar corresponds to Sinai. The law, bondage, slavery. Revelation says, I've seen a new Jerusalem come down from heaven. We are the people of God. Like Sister Daniela was saying in, in uh, Telegram. How we are Jews. It says in Romans that the true Jews are those who are circumcised by the heart, not by the flesh. We are it says New Jerusalem in, in Revelation. A lot of people don't know what that's talking about. It came down from heaven. We we're born from above. As Galatians talks about, and Sarah is our mother, Abraham, our father. He's a father of us all. It was a promise all the way dating back in Galatians. We who serve in the new way, not the letter, but in the spirit for the letter kills and the spirit gives life. We have life residing in us. And we, as I've said, we are to go out and go in power and life and bring it wherever there's death. Wherever there's corruption, wherever there's bondage. And we teach them to observe all things Jesus has commanded us. Everything. Not being particular. Paul entrusts Timothy with the words, the wholesome words of eternal life, the sound doctrine that he says will save both yourself and your hearers if you give adherence to it. And he says this, commit thou the faithful men who will be able also to teach others. And he says, show no partiality. That means I don't get to just select this little passage or just highlight this little passage and decide to disobey the rest. I have to not only proclaim but to obey and expect others to obey the full counsel of God. All of it. Because anything less than that is not the gospel indeed. It's not the gospel. Christ buried, died, buried, raised again, ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, and will return to do what? Bring to completion... What we do not yet see, the writer of Hebrews says, we do not see all things placed underneath his feet, although everything is placed underneath his feet. But when he returns, we will see the full manifestation of him bringing all of his enemies underneath his feet. And what does Psalms tell us? That he will be surrounded by corpses. There will be a physical, I I think, if I'm understanding these texts correctly, these prophetic texts of Christ's messianic reign here on earth. What does he say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The I, I asked a question in the chat last night. Do you think the earth will exist forever? I believe through careful study that heaven is the intermediate state. And earth, that the Lord will restore what was intended from the beginning. Otherwise, I don't think that in in the the old the major prophets, the minor prophets, including Ecclesiastes, says the earth abides forever. So when Jesus returns, he will annihilate his enemies. Otherwise, why would we need a resurrected body rather than a spirit to inhabit heaven? Resurrection is the central 
a promise surrounding the 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 accomplishment of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. It says, we shall be made like him unto his glorious body. We shall have a glorious body like his. That is the hope of the gospel. Not that we would be ghosts floating around in heaven with this immaterial substance. No. We will have a body just like his. Like his. And you know what he wants you and I to do? To be the expression of his hands and feet here on earth until he fully places his enemies and crushes them as his footstool. We don't desire the death of the wicked, but remember that is what will be, that's what will happen. That is the end result of his messianic reign. It's either them being underneath his feet or it's us being underneath the wicked's feet which do we want you say well that don't sound jesus like well it doesn't sound like jesus's earthly ministry he came to seek and save that which is lost but do not be mistaken that he's coming in fiery vengeance to afflict those who afflict us but until the meantime If you turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray them like this. Again, I, I love emphasizing this point. I think every minister, when they should come to this text, should emphasize this point. I know that we're not reading it, but they did ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. That's what they asked him. And I think that there should come a time in our life when someone asks us, how do you pray? Not just in a very generic sort of general way, but no, 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 no. How how do you, David, pray? Or Natalia, how do you pray? Daniela, how do you pray? Julia, how do you pray? I want to know how you do it. I don't want to know how the pulpiteers of, of, of such shallowness today. I don't I want to know how those gummy bear Christians pray. I want to know how you pray. Teach us to pray. And he says, pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, holy, sacred, deep. Majestic is your name. That is the main compelling and driving force for every Christian. And it's not even that, it's not even for just this. It's for Christ-likeness in every part of the land. Everywhere. You know, and, and I, Sister Danielle, you asked this, um, uh, we go to, no, it's not misleading to say we go to heaven or hell. We will go. But remember how we talked about hell, how very quickly the Greek word Hades and Gehenna, there's two different Greek words, but they all translate for some reason in our English Bibles as hell. 
Hades is the interim, it's a detaining cell for the wicked until they're tossed into Gehenna, which is found enough, which is given a different phrase in the book of Revelation that's entitled Lake of Fire. So the wicked at this point, they're in Hades. They will be tossed into Gehenna, namely the Lake of Fire forever and ever at the judgment. When believers died, they go, they were in Abraham's bosom. Remember when Jesus died, brought souls out, and they said they roamed around? Well, he, he released them from Abraham's bosom, which was called paradise. Okay, But now there's no one there. When saints die, they go to heaven and to the eternal state. But have you ever read the passage when Jesus comes with ten thousands of angels and saints and all that stuff? I believe I might be wrong because I, I show a lot of humility when it comes to end times. I, I don't understand it as I I, I I I think it's a very complex topic. But if I understand it correctly, my assumption is that the saints who have died and entered into the eternal state will be coming with Christ here on earth. That's why Paul says we shall not all sleep. But in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. So there will come a time wherein Christ comes, instantiates his messianic reign here on earth, and we shall be changed in a twinkling of an eye unto his glorious body, like he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration before James, John, and Peter. And so when that happens, as the book of Psalms says, if you look at Psalm 110, uh, Psalm 110, <clears throat> he says in verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. Remember, whenever he's talking about right hand, he's talking about the ascension of Christ. Christ ascended, given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. So he doesn't say days. On the day of his wrath. So there is a day wherein God has appointed him righteousness, the Bible says in the book of Acts, wherein he will judge the world. He has fixed a day in righteousness wherein he will judge the world. That's why Paul says, I think in First or Second Thessalonians, that he will destroy them with the sword of his mouth in fiery vengeance. Fiery Vengeance implies wrath. So this wrath, this day of wrath that we're talking about is the return of Jesus. And it says he will shatter kings on that day. So all the kings of all the earth will mourn on the account of him whom they have pierced. And every eye shall see him. And they will wail on the account of him whom they have pierced. You might say, well... A lot of those people aren't living today. The Bible says this, that if you reject him, you're you're crucifying him, according to Hebrews. So figuratively speaking, they have crucified him in some regard. It says he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. Notice he doesn't just say Jerusalem. He says all nations. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth not the narrow the wide that means all of it so but what do we do in the meantime well this is jesus's solution he says our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come 
your will be done. So when Jesus returns, that's the manifestation of his kingdom. The kingdom is here because Jesus says that the kingdom is among you. The wicked have their kingdom. We have our kingdom. And our kingdom is the kingdom of righteousness. And I love what Daniel says, this kingdom shall never be shaken. It shall never be shaken. What I love is if you do a study on the book of Daniel, you'll find that historically everything that he had prophesied hundreds of years of hundreds of years before had all come to pass. Nebuchadnezzar had risen and fell, then the fault his successor, and then and then Alexander the Great, then his successor. They all had risen and fallen, but guess who won't? Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But see, the reason why I'm focusing on this is so often people are thinking, I just want to go to heaven. No, you know what my goal is? I want heaven here. That really is my goal. Because as I see here in the text, that was the primary goal of Christ. That was his goal. When we, when we say, let the Lamb of God have the full rewards of his sufferings, what we are saying is this. Jesus suffered not only for you and I, but for all the nations. And he not only wants what makes up a nation, namely people, but he wants the land too. When the Bible says that he will destroy the elements in fervent heat, he baptized the world once in water. He's going to do it a second time in fire. And so our goal in the meantime is not to say, hey, uh, Muslims, go ahead, take, take our children, take our schools, take our lands, take it all. Hey, Mormons, you go ahead and have, you know, you do outdo us in evangelism. Go ahead. You can have all these souls. No, Jesus didn't commission a single Islamist nor a single Mormon. He commissioned us. He says, you and I, for us to go make disciples of all nations. Because why? All authority and dominion has been given to him. See, our jobs, our education, our marriage, none of it is the end goal. Our children. It's so that we can have spiritual offspring. That we will labor and do all for Christ. All my days, all my hours, all my ransom powers, all for Jesus. Is is um, It's an old hymn, but I, I, I like all my days, all my hours. But look, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, not, excuse me, chapter 15, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I want to read this. It's going to be, this is the lengthy passage I was talking about. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. <clears throat> 
And the word of the Lord reads this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And you know what I want to say? There are some of us that will preach and proclaim the resurrection of the dead, but we live as if it does not and will not happen. What do I mean by that? We live every day earthbound. We live every single day fixated on what is to come here on this life. And we don't think about eternity. We don't think about the resurrection. I forgot what it was. I think it was yesterday. And I I think it was the solemn words of Jesus. Or it was someone that was speaking on hell. And it just, it shook me. And 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 it was the text that said, He will say to those on his left to part from me, you cursed. Away with the devil and his angels. How to think about that, man. And I now I, I, I trust that the Lord will never permit for me to become so lazy to where I allow it to slip past my mind. You think about this forever and ever. And so shall we not, as the church of Christ, in, in love and compassion with the love that constrains us seek to snatch people from the fire. Now I wanted to say a test. <laughs> so, you know, my, uh, 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 one of my old, you know, neighborhood friends, I've been praying for him for 10 years, 10 whole years. He just got out of prison yesterday. And he says, he, 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 we got off the phone earlier, talked for about an hour. I was talking to him about the Lord. And he says, man, I'm tired of this life. I want to give my life to Christ, man. He says, when I was in the, when I was in prison, he says, it wasn't until the last year. God finally got a hold of me. He says, and he says, I, I want, he says, he says in so, in so many words that I want to be born again. <laughs> he says, I, I don't know. I, says, I want to be new or something. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> And he said, dude, I'm I'm willing to follow suit. He says, whatever, you know, so he said, you tell me whatever, you know, whatever you're doing, I'm following right with you. And so um, I believe there's going to be a baptism soon. He's going to come with me at men's meeting. But uh, 10 years, man, 10 whole stinking years I've been praying for this guy. And and he was the one, and, and I felt like a special burden for him because I was the one that got him into that street life into the lifestyle of drugs and all that stuff. I led him wrong. And so I say, you know what? I'm not going to allow the devil to take him. I'm I'm going to continue to pray for him and lead him into righteousness. I don't know about you, but I, I wanna I wanna raise up soldiers, man. Soldiers for the kingdom. Soldiers for the kingdom. Not sissies. And I, I know that sounds, you know, degrading, but you get the point, though. Sometimes you have to say shocking things because, you know, I mean, the devil ain't sleeping. You know, that should be I, every time I think about that it motivates me. You know, he's not sleeping. And every time I think, you know, and we're talking about what, what we he was bringing up some stories. He said it was awesome because <laughs> I invited him to church even when I was in the world. And um, he's all, yeah, dude. He said, I remember. He says, he said, I remember as clear as day. And check this out. He said, he said, we went to a party. And, uh, you know, 
and I'm not going to go into detail, but he says, he says, I remember that something happened there. And, and he said, you ended up saying, uh, you know, someone invited you to church and that you wanted to go and that you invited me. And he says, I still remember us walking together and we're headed to church. You bought your pack of cigarettes. And he says, you're outside the church smoking and you invited, you, you, <laughs> you, you recommended it to the pastor's son. Like, Hey, you want to smoke? And he's like, and he's thinking, he's like, he's, he used to call me punk. He's like, punk, you stupid. <laughs> like he said that in his head. But anyways, um, he, he, he mentioned all that because he said, he says, and that was the last week you and I had, uh, you know, used to do what we did. And he says, and he says, when I got locked up, he said, I wrote all that down. And he said, if Punky could change, he says, I told myself that God can change me too. And, and it was just, it was amazing, man. <laughs> and he says, because he, he realized that it was from God. It was all of the Lord, all of him. And that just, uh, like, I wanted to cry. I was like, man, that's so amazing, dude. Like, like God is good. It's just a beautiful beautiful just testimony and then not only that there's this other old friend that you know we used to you know hang out and he's been reaching out to me about god he in fact he called me and um he uh he's been backslidden for a long time he said that when he was a little kid that he actually spoke in tongues in church and he gave his life to the lord but when I came in the picture some years later, he had been backslidden already for I don't know how many years. But anyways, he started coming back to Lord. And I've been praying for him for a long time. And so anyways, the point is this, is we need to take the land. We need to reap a harvest. And he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. <clears throat> we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that, he, that the dead, dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then, even Christ has, uh, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, or in other words, vain or worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And, and I, was, I was listening, as I've said earlier, I was listening to Kent uh, Hovind, or how do you pronounce that guy's name? He says, I, I liked what he pointed out. He says, salt of the earth. It's tasty when it's on meat. Or he says something like that. He says, but if it's on a wound, it will irritate you. If you're not irritating people with the gospel, you're not doing something right. And I think that's true. There will be people that will hate your guts, that you will irritate, because salt will irritate wounds. And they're what they want it away from them. And so, but the point though is this our testimony of Christ will cause us to be hated. Jesus says this, marvel not. The world hated you, will also hate me. No, it has hated me before it has hated you, right? And because they hate Christ, they hate us. And this is precisely why Paul says, if 
only if I can only hope for this body, and, and uh, along with you know the people that persecute us, that revile us, that speak ill of us, and in some places literally harass and 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 persecute. God bless you, sister. You have a, a good day. And they torment and they, they torture. Then we're above all people most to be miserable. We're, we're to be pitied. And I'm going to just say it like this. I don't think that can be said of Joel Osteen. I don't think that can be said of Stephen Furtick. I don't think it can be said of guys like that. Why? Because their fame is now. Their laughter is now. Their popularity is now. That doesn't mean let's go and become broke and all this other stuff. Um, <clears throat> oh, the thing I wanted to mention, and this is all the more reason why this is important, and, and that we were talking about poverty in the group chat. And um, I, I can't help but think of it as like siblings, like going back. <laughs> it's, it's cool, though, because... Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's cool because it's, it's not, it's not out of hate, you know, and that's, that's, that's the nature of, of the church of Christ. We may not always see eye to eye. Uh, we may not even always like what each other say, but love is not liking and liking is not loving. We love each other. But anyways, I bring that up because of this topic of poverty. I was watching Heart Cry Missionary Society and Paul Washer it was his channel he's talking about there was this missionary that was starred on there and they had gone to this distant tribe i don't know it's some place even worse in africa it was so disgusting man they were eating like maggots from the ground and they're performing like these demonic rituals but with food and all this other stuff and uh they were even more poorly dressed than people in africa they like had like some tarnished like looking sackcloth as underwear and it was just it was horrific <clears throat> but if you'll know that people like that and nations like that that are so impoverished, they are, um, nations like that are furthest from God. And they had some very barbaric sort of understanding of God, sort of tribal demonism. It, you know, it's it just far. If you mentioned, like, honestly, if you mentioned, if you brought this phone to them and, you know, showed them this, they wouldn't even know what to do. They wouldn't know what it was. They they haven't even heard the name of Jesus. And so the reason I bring that up is because there are some nations that are further from Christ. And 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 places like America and places like Europe has had the gospel come to these continents. And so the 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 or, or Canada, the gospel has been brought to places like this. So we 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 uh, reap the benefits of a of a society that has been gospelized to some degree. It's not like we would want to see it, but it certainly is better than barbaric tribes or some sort of atheistic North Korea. So, <clears throat> but I say this is that's why it is important that we fight tooth and nail for Christ to have dominion everywhere. And I understand that, like the Bible says in the last days, many will be lovers of self and all this stuff. But do not be mistaken. I am told, I, I, I'm convinced from Scripture that there are outpourings of the Spirit of God that we can usher in by prayer and fasting and sacrifice that will give us times of grace. 
But the problem is, is the church doesn't sacrifice. The problem is, is we're not praying for his kingdom to come. The problem is that we want our will more than we want the father's will here on earth. Because that was the prayer. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is on heaven. Why would they need to continue to pray that when, when Jesus was already there? He had already brought the kingdom to this earth. Why do we need to continue to pray that today? Because the kingdom has not come in its full manifestation. There is still more of the kingdom to advance. But as we continue forward, verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, namely Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. Okay. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying. Now notice this. Verse 22, let's read that. Uh, verse 23, let's read that again. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So if I'm understanding this correctly, it appears as if those who remain here on earth are those whom the, the, the text is addressing as those who belong to Christ. Christ comes, right? <clears throat> then when he comes, he says, then comes the end. The end times we're talking about. We don't get sucked up out of here. That's not what it's saying there in the text. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. Who does that mean? That means the rulers of this world. Like Psalms 110 was talking about. On that day of wrath there will be corpses. It talks about this in Revelation too. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So that last enemy, he delivers the kingdom unto the Father, and it's at that time the church shall live forevermore in immortality with their new bodies. And so there will be death no more. There will be no more crying. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. For God has put, and notice this, verse 27, God has put, inciting the psalm, the psalmist, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Notice how often this passage is script, uh, cited in Psalms and Hebrews and Paul's letters. They were really looking forward to this. From the mind of Paul, the Lord placing his enemies underneath his feet were inseparable to the resurrection. That is the package deal to the resurrection is that we would reign with Christ and those who had reigned in this life would be put underneath and afflicted by Christ. I like what Ravenhill said. He says, when Jesus was walking this earth, men pushed him around, but when he returns, he will push men around. And then it says, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And so, <clears throat> I want us to turn 
to down to verse 31. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? And he cites a, I believe it's a, it's a, a, a Greek philosopher or a Greek poet. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I think it might have been Epicurus, where it came the the Greco philosophy of Epi, uh, Epicure, uh, Epicureanism. Um, But he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So what he's saying there is, look, I'm fighting with beasts. He's, he's talking about people. Fighting with beasts at Ephesus. Um, I die daily and being persecuted. He says, many fastings, many sleepless nights. Um and all these things. He says, if the dead are not raised, none of this means anything. Why do I go through all this ill treatment if I cannot hope for a life to come? If we, if there's no life to come, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, let's live a hedonistic life. Hedonism is the philosophy that the good life is to maximize fleshly pleasure. Let us just live that sort of life. But that's not what he says. <clears throat> In light of the fact, and, and, and we do know Jesus was raised from the dead. In verses earlier, he says that he appeared to 500. There are eyewitnesses to this. There are eye human witnesses. But more than more important than human witnesses, we have the Holy Spirit to bear witness to our hearts that all of this is true. That Jesus did rise from the dead. You know, this is uh what was that old song? It says, Because he lives, I can see tomorrow, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. Because he lives, we shall also live, like it says in John. Why are we new creatures in Christ today? Because he lives. The fact that we're changed is evidence that he lives because we live. We live a newness of life. And we want to, uh, once again, transmit this to to, uh, those who are still dead in trespasses and sins. But so if I can kind of conclude all this. um, I read through the Psalms as well as Hebrew. Well, I read through the Psalms to show. That it was a, it was a, a prophecy that even the saints of old looked forward to. That Christ would come. That Christ would first of all receive dominion, and authority, and we've seen that when he ascended, when he rose again from the dead. He, well, he didn't ascend yet. He 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 rose again on the dead from the dead, and he says all authority has been given unto him. Then he ascended to the right hand of the Majesty on high. Okay. And so the psalmists predicted this. They prophesied about this. And the inseparable commission, the inseparable task in light of that resurrection 
is go make disciples. So the way that Jesus intends for his kingdom to be ushered here on earth, the gospel to advance, and his enemies progressively be made a footstool for his feet, is that we would win the war by gospel proclamation, by gospelizing the world, and not allowing the wicked to take territory from us. Every time we win a soul, we're gospelizing this world. Every time we win a soul, we're saying, in effect, Jesus has dominion, and the devil doesn't. And and so the writer of Hebrews shows us, as I read in chapter 2, verse 8, that everything has been placed underneath, underneath his feet. That's where we can find encouragement. Because I know we can look out into this destitute world, and we can see all this corruption, and our hearts may be tempted to become faint and say, you know what? What what do we as a church have? What do we stand against such people? But Jesus says, no, you have all of heaven backing you. We have all of heaven backing us, all of the angels. There was a man in, in the Old Testament named Sennacherib, right? And he was going to war, and one of the angels was <clears throat> commissioned by the Lord, <clears throat> and he slayed about 140,000 men. One angel. What does that show of angelic power? And yet we have God himself on our side. If God before us, who can be against us? And so there's also a motivation to not revert back, to not bank in this life as something to be grasped. Paul made it very clear. If only in this life have we hope in Christ, where above all men most to be miserable. But there is a resurrection from the dead. Do not be mistaken, and it's coming. And the hour is coming when both the unrighteous and the righteous will be risen from their dead, from the graves, and they will have to give an account to him who sees all. But the way that we continue, in addition to making disciples, is constant, fixed, and earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. You know, I, as I, I keep referencing his name because he had brought some good topics up, uh, good points up today. Kent, I love how he exposes the foolishness of evolution. Um, he's good for that, so he has really great resources on that. Um, he was a science teacher and all that stuff and he exposed all its lies but he says you know in first uh i think first timothy chapter two he says pray for those that are and and uh pray for rulers and authorities and stuff like that he said it's a command he says let me ask you this question he says do you know your senator's names well that's what we call the people here in america he says, if you don't, he says, I don't don't know if you're doing very much praying for them. You should know your politicians by name to pray for them in order for them to legislate godly laws. I think that's true. I mean, because Paul and and Peter, they knew the, the, the names of their rulers and their leaders. But anyways, my point is, I see that only to my shame too. I don't know the names of my senators. 
I pray in a very general way, but I think that specified prayer is very good prayer. We actually pray with expectation and and specifics saying, I'm praying for this exact person and Lord do X, Y, and Z in their life. So that way, um, God can get glory from that. But the, the sad reality is this, the majority, and I can say this for the American church, the majority of the American church is not praying. It, it it does a lot of other stuff, like entertain people. It, it does a lot of humanitarian services, feed the poor. All that stuff is good, but that's not the primary mission of the church of Jesus Christ, is not to become a, a welfare service. That's not, that's not what we're intended to do. We're intended to go and make disciples and to... to and let me just touch on this very quickly. <clears throat> I, I emphasize this a lot. And I'm glad that I was educated to understand the importance of disciples. Okay. There will, we will not bring about change and impact if disciples are not made. <clears throat> We need more than converts. We need far much more than converts. That is the beginning stages. Because as I'm sure you know, you can bring a baby into this world, but you can ruin its life. And you can teach it some very horrible things. And that's why when someone says, I'm going to this church, I just gave my life to the Lord. I'm like, yes, but no. Because of where they say they're going. And it's like someone saying, a baby was brought into his life. It's like, praise God. And they say, <clears throat> uh, yeah, the mothers and the dad, they're living in a crack house. You're not so happy after all. It's like, dang. Or their parents are abusive. Or there's corruption in the house. And you're not so happy afterward. So converts is the beginning stages. And the reason why churches are bad is because they probably have not been discipled or they've been discipled bad. And so what you have is wacky teachings. You have corrupt character because we just want more and more and more and more and more disciples. <clears throat> we See, we want, no, I'm sorry. We want more and more and more and more church attendance. That's what we're after in the American church. What happens, because our eye is on the number, man's lust for more and and um, and power and, and popularity, they end up starting cut corners, saying, I want a larger church. I want to be well known. We're going to put this program. We're going to do this humanitarian service. We're going to not talk about sin so much. We're going to start doing all these things. And so what ends up happening is you start getting a bunch of people flocking there. And now they got a lot of horsepower because there's a lot of people coming. They're saying all the right things. Everyone's contributing money. And then guess who's duplicating these big powerhouses? Guess who's now making uh, other churches just like them? This humongous mega powerhouse is getting all these money. Why? Because they're government approved. Why they do humanitarian service? Why they get endorsed by other people? Why they got other uh, like they win the community's heart 
They're no longer a, a thorn in the community side with the gospel. They got the community patting on the head and saying, good church, you're telling us what we want to hear. And so they gained favor. And that's why all these other churches that are poor in the world's eyes, but have power with God, they're, they're you know, and, it, and, and so I'm sorry for ranting on about that a bit, but my point in saying that is, is, is significant because we don't want lukewarm, shallow, superficial churchgoers. That's not what we want. You know, I, I love what Ravenhill had said. He says, I'd rather have 10 men that are filled with the Holy Ghost and have given all to God than a thousand that play church. Because you won't accomplish anything with 10,000 people that play church. <clears throat> I can, we can do honestly, I'm going to say this with all my heart. If everybody in this leadership meeting, everybody in this leadership group were committed with their whole heart unto God, filled with the Holy Ghost, were prayerful, we can do much more than, I'm, I'm, this is not an exaggeration, than 10,000 people that are playing church. Because we have God on our side, they don't. Even though they proclaim in Christ that they don't know. And it's not so to gain numbers. It's to populate heaven. It's to populate heaven. And so we, we're trusting in the arm of the flesh today. We're not trusting in the spirit of God. We're not trusting in prayer. We're not trusting in, in the methods that Jesus has given us. And it's very simple. Preach, proclaim, pray. Preach, proclaim, pray. Teach, proclaim, pray. He didn't have a marketing strategist book. He didn't hire businessmen. In fact, he chose some very rugged fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, and uh, people that were not deemed as noble men of society, who didn't have much money to their name. But they turned the world upside down. They turned the whole world upside down with 12 men. Well, Ju and when I say 12, I'm not including Judas, I'm including Paul. And Paul says, I've labored more than them all. So, um, disciples, and see, let, let me just make a couple of other points. I'm coming to a close because it's really important in light of all of this, because what we're talking about here is taking dominion for Christ. I, I would rather spend more time on, on reaching the lost who are hostile to me, then I'm willing to waste time <clears throat> on Christians who think they know it all and are not willing to commit to anything. The reason why is this. What happens is, you know, what happens is, is say this is, a, let's say this is a convert. They, they give their life to Christ. There's just a pot, and this is a plant. You plant them right here. And they're like, I love this place because of the children's service. And then something, and then let's say someone says something that offended them. They're like, ah, I'm going gonna, gonna to leave. And there's another pot. They go over here. 
And then they say, you know what? Oh, there's a new church that came down the street. I love their worship. They get they get rooted out and they get planted again. So what happens is they get these diverse teachings. They never grow. And really what it's like, it's like this. It's like one of those friends that has, it's one of those friends of yours that has a lot of friends and they tell each of their friends that they can sleep over every night of, you know, one night here, one night here. So he gets to eat everywhere without ever doing anything. He gets to eat here. He gets to eat there. He gets to eat here. But guess what? He gets to say bye-bye. He don't have to do laundry. You say, see you later, bro. And and what happens is it's an easy way. It's it's like having no commitment in a relationship and and you're just on date lines saying, hey, what's up to a bunch of people and you get flattered by all that these people say to you without having the guilt of cheating on someone. It's like test driving cars. And you have no intention on buying anything. You know why you don't want to buy anything? Because you don't want responsibility. <clears throat> so those kids that hop from home to home, they're nomads. They have no one fathering them. They have no spiritual uh, uh, educators to help them to, to uh, bring them up in the faith. And this is detrimental to making disciples. So, when you later on in life, when you're looking for disciples, because you have to keep your eyes out for these people, because if not, it is it ends up becoming a waste of time because people like that, they, they don't do anything for the kingdom. They always end up taking from people from the kingdom. Okay, they will. And, and they, they, it's like they cheat, they, they will treat Christianity like a smorgasbord. It's like, I like that. I'll pick this out. Um, it's like a buffet. And, and <clears throat> when, if you, if someone comes in your life and, and it's, it, and you're in a place to where you're grown enough to disciple someone, you have to keep your eye out for those things because what will happen is if, if they don't, it will be a waste of time because we need more than just information because someone could sit behind a screen, right? And then listen to this, listen to that, listen to this. And they will have a lot of information here. But why, why is it? Why have people been assigned parents? Because you can listen to a lot of different voices, but at the end of the day, there is someone saying, this is what you have to do. And they, they challenge you. They grow you up in responsibility and there's a safe environment. And, and I was, I was telling, I forgot who I was telling this with, but my boy, he's only four years old. You know what? He can sit through church without watching anything, without crying and complaining. You know why? Because he has a stern father that tells him and puts him in his place, but he has a nurturing mother. He has a good balance. And so while all these other kids are running around doing whatever the heck they want, the parents can't control them. You know why? Because the parents can't control themselves. And so as a result, they have a chaotic home. They don't have their home in order. And there's a lot of churches that do not have God's house in order because this is not the prevailing rule in the home. And so kids are running around in God's house doing whatever the heck they want to do. 
They're bringing in clowns behind the pulpit. They're having smoke screens and doing all this other stuff, having acrobats on the altar. It's ridiculous. And so, um, anyways, remember, all of this is in light of Christ wants his, the reward of his sufferings. He suffered for dominion. And we, as his hands and feet, have been called and commissioned to bring his kingdom here on earth. That means we must walk in power. And, um, <clears throat> and so we pray. We pray for harvest. We pray for laborers in the harvest. Um, and if, if in any case we feel like we're not ready to, you know, to speak up as, as maybe some others do. Remember this, this is always an encouragement for me, especially because there's times where the Lord has me in a downtime. I'm going to, 